And welcome, everybody, to a very special episode, episode number 22 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very wonderful exploration into the world of 2020 films hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm your host, Adam Cervantes-Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, Bronze Boy himself, Trevor Dillon. (laughs) Bronze Boy? We needed a bronze in here. Why? Because we're talking about the golden ghosties today, Trevor. Ah, not the silver ghosties that we give away in our outro episodes, but the golden ghosties, the alliteration, the best films of any given year, not any given series. Right. And uh, of course, we sound very experienced at this, but dear listeners, don't get your hopes up. This is our first time doing this. Yeah, absolutely. This is our very first major, major time on this red carpet. And uh, I got to say, that I, I'm impressed that you, you do clean up quite well, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. I was inspired. Uh, I, I originally did not clean up very well. Uh, however, I was able to invert myself, go back in time. And now uh, you can see I'm wearing something nice. However, I'm breathing through a mask. Oh, boy. Here we go. Well, spoilers for your top ten. <laughs> Maybe, maybe so. Uh, but who are you wearing? Well, Trevor, I'm actually not. Uh, I'm actually naked right now because I'm in the body of a cat. My soul got all mixed up. Oh, your soul, directed by Pete Doctor. <laughs> That's right. The tallest white guy in the world. Yeah, one of Pixar's finest, finest non-huggers. <laughs> oh, hey, hey. Hey, uh, who who else is on the red carpet here? Wow, we have... Uh, oh my gosh, is that Ludwig Gorasan, the guy who did the score for Tenet? Oh, it is, and for some reason he's uh, walking backwards. Yeah, <laughs> listeners of the show, just so you know, we did see other films this year that were <laughs> not the film Tenet. Yeah, is that... Uh, oh, look at that. Is that... Um, is that... Uh, a, a relatively unknown cast from the documentary uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets? I hey, think so. Hey, that's a, now that's a film. We might be hearing a little bit more about that movie later in the show from a, a guest call-in. Ooh, interesting. Hey, what? Uh, hey, look at that. It's uh, The Invisible Man. I think... <laughs> is, that, is that Charlie Kaufman? No, it's Nicolas Cage. What's he doing here? Uh, <laughs> All right, well, you know, you could tell this. Uh, we, we've got a very special night, and we've got a very special circumstance going on, dear listeners. Mm. Uh, Trevor, do you want to tell them what we're doing? We are going to be going over what we think were the top 10 films of the year, and that's both of our lists, not just my list, but also Adam's inferior list. And then we'll be going over some of the awards that we would like to be giving away. Again, this is not a list that we have come together with. We're going to have our own answers each. We're going to be giving away best cinematography, best score, best screenplay, doesn't matter if it's adapted or original, best supporting actress, best supporting actor, best actress, best actor, and best director. And at the end, we'll be giving away a special Lifetime Achievement Award. That's right. And the certain cherry on top, you know, a movie that took uh, audiences at home by storm was uh, the foreign film Another Round, which just won an Oscar. And in honor of that film, Trevor and I got our blood alcohol content, our back, up for this episode. So 
If we sound a little different today, that's why. Trevor, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking, because I am trying to cut down on the calories slightly, uh, a bunch of white claws. And anybody who just rolled their eyes, uh, they are 100 calories each. Uh, they're quite tasty, and they get the job done. So I don't care what you think about it. But Adam, what are you drinking? Nice. I uh, made myself two mixed drinks, uh, vodka and uh, some uh, juice from Trader Joe's, some passion fruit mango interesting and now listeners of the show uh will be like wow they're slurring more than usual but they're still not funny <laughs> it's pretty impressive what you can do with a little alcohol in your blood <laughs> keep going you know it's a podcast you can take it back no it's okay i'm, I'm proud of that one <laughs> okay just eat that word and keep on moving um Again, you know, 2020 came to a close quite a bit ago. Of course, we had the Oscars this past Sunday. But another reason that we're doing this show is as a celebration, Adam, a celebration of a huge milestone. You mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're only 22 episodes in. But guess what? We've eclipsed 1,500 downloads. And we can only thank that to you, our wonderful, beautiful listeners who continue to get more beautiful every time they listen. And please don't divide the number 1,500 by 22 episodes to see how many downloads we get per episode. <laughs> because let me tell you, the number's very, very high. Right. As a whole, you know. Um, okay, so I want to call you out on some stuff before we get started. First of all, you were talking about our beautiful listeners. I, according to TriCast, which is what we use, 99% of our listeners are from America. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, we're a melting pot, and that's what makes us so beautiful, darn it. Absolutely, and I'm just glad that none of those listeners are the Brits. You know, on this show, we care about only a few things. Ghost directors, the way this country treats their veterans, and we are very anti-English. Yeah, that's right. Uh, watch out for our Attack the Block episode coming soon. <laughs> yeah, we go, we go in on those guys. Um, before we get started, I am, again, going to keep on calling you out on some stuff. Uh, we had a, rel- <laughs> a situation relatively recently called Ghosty Gate. It's, it's known as Ghosty Gate now. <laughs> Adam, I don't know if you recall, but um, uh, Adam does uh, the, the lion's share of the producing on this show, and he also uploads the episodes. He uploaded an episode recently, and I cannot recall which episode it was. Oh, uh... Uh, yeah, I can't. Outro, I think. Yeah, it was an outro yeah. episode, and uh, he uploaded it to iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts, as we often do. And the episode was utterly unedited, completely from the beginning. We were talking completely candid, behind the scenes, the stuff that you definitely don't want getting out onto Spotify and iTunes and stuff. So we had a middle, a little bit of a mild uh anxiety attack and i uh i, I called at him like three times and this guy sleeps until 2 p.m every day so i was afraid <laughs> i couldn't get a hold of him and luckily he, he picked up eventually and uh he was talking about how he couldn't get the thing off of spotify and i'm telling you at the beginning of this podcast we were talking about like i called listen i called jason blum a total dummy <laughs> That's the truth, by the way. Those are the words I use. I said total dummy based off of an, an April Fool's joke that he made on Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, listen, I ha- I can't have stuff like that get out. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, As people know listening to the show, I am a filmmaker of some note. I am now a, a major podcaster. So uh, you just need to be a little more careful, buddy. We can't have any more ghosty gates. That's right. Well, you know, to be fair, it was only Spotify. Um, unfortunately, the sad part is that we were well over 10,000 downloads uh, before I removed those episodes, removing them did bring us down to, to 1.5K. Yeah. Um, and a little inside baseball. Look, we're just going to be honest. 
We love to talk badly about pretty much everyone we know, everyone who comes on the podcast. We really go for the jugular as much as we can. It's a nice way to warm up, I think, before the podcast to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, and if you were a past guest of the show who happened to hear that Spotify episode, we are sorry. We were joking. Completely we were joking. Um, and uh, if you know, if you heard something that was a bit unsavory, seriously, we did not mean it. It was a joke. And um, yeah. Well, now yeah, you're, you're, I'm trying to make a joke. Now you're looking like we actually did say something bad. Yeah, it's a bit. I'm doing a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, 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 I told you that the only bad thing I said was literally word for word. I called Jason du- Jason Blum. Jason Blum? Dummy, I should call him now at this point. I called him a dummy. That was the only thing that I said that was bad. Producer, uh, head of the studio, Dumbhouse. <laughs> Dumbhouse. Oh, man. Uh, one more thing I want to call you out on. Um, I had to edit the episode last week uh, that we put oh, out. Yeah. And um, interesting because it seemed like you had time to watch the David Fincher film Mank, but you didn't have time to edit. Explain. Right. Well, that was on uh, 420, of course. Yeah, you watched Mank on 420. Right. On uh, tw- Tuesday. 420. <laughs> Absolute most insane decision of all time. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I had to get ready for this podcast, this this episode, our best episode yet. Yeah, for sure. I, I know you were watching Mank to clean up so you could maybe put it on your top 10. So we'll get that to that in a, in a bit if Mank actually ended up making the cut. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get into our list and stuff, let's talk Oscars. Adam, did you watch the Oscars on Sunday? I did not. I uh, picked up all the winners right after. Right, yeah. I mean, you can basically just not watch it and watch it on Twitter, but I, I just so happened to have a Sunday off and was watching it. Um, I just want to run down some notes for you real quick. Soderbergh yeah. directed the show, which I thought was fascinating. Cause when so it was it opened, on an iPhone? Yeah, well, it looked... Okay, so it started right, and I forgot that Soderbergh was directing it, and we were sitting there uh, with my girlfriend Jen. Shut up. Um, oh. Yeah, enough, enough. <laughs> I shut down any 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 chatter you have before you can even get into it. But um, oh, that's right. She told me she was with you that night. <laughs> yep, yep. She was with me, her boyfriend that she lives with. Uh-huh. Uh, so we were watching the show, and she was like, "I hate the way it looks. I think it looks terrible." And then it, like a light bulb went off on my head, Scott Pilgrim style, and I was like, "Oh shit, Soderbergh is directing this." So like, when you joked that it was shot on an iPhone, it they they like made like a makeshift stage in Union Square. And it was like it like looked really dark and like everybody was like on the far edge of frames and stuff. And there was an aspect ratio and it was like so directed. Uh, and the show was just an utter disaster. They didn't cut anybody off in their speeches, which I, that was the only part I liked is how intimate it was able to get because of how long people were able to talk. But at the end of the show, I'm sure you've heard a million times um, they put like best director. Well, first of all, they gave away best director like really early in the evening, which went to Chloe Zhao who was the first woman of color to ever win that Oscar. And it's like, oh, great. Let's give this away at 6 p.m. Like, I'm like, what? Like, why did we, like, really down that moment? And it was because they probably figured that Nomadland would win Best Picture, right? The producers don't look into the envelope, so they were just really betting. So they give away Chloe Zhao's Best Director Award at 6 p.m. And then at, like, 7.30, they give Best Picture to, uh, to Nomadland, which is Best Picture always goes last, right? But yeah. they wanted to leave the last two categories, which they found the most interesting, open. Best Actress and Best Actor. So they go to Best Actress, which a lot of people had between Carrie Mulligan and Viola, Viola Davis. Right. And then uh, Frances McDormand wins. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you had put money on Frances McDormand in Vegas, if you put 100 bucks on it, you would have won, like, you know, $400. She was, like, a 4-to-1, right? And everyone mm-hmm. else was, like, 
Uh, I think Viola Davis was like 2.5 to 1, and Carrie Mulligan was 2.2 to 1. Um, so that was an upset. Francis McDormand goes up on stage, gives like a Joe Pesci length acceptance speech. It was like nice. 30 seconds. She was just like, ah, here's another one, you know, because it's her third one. <laughs> she walks off stage. I'm like, ooh, boy. And then they let Joaquin Phoenix come out to give away Best Actor, which they Uh-oh. want to end the show. Yeah, they let the friggin' Joker on stage. <laughs> Didn't think anything was going to go wrong with a Steven Soderbergh-directed show where the Joker comes on last. And clearly, uh-huh. clearly the producers want to end the show on a Chadwick Boseman tribute, right? Right. And he opens the fucking envelope and he says... Anthony Hopkins for the father. And Anthony Hopkins is not at the show. <laughs> Walking Phoenix just looks right, the Joker looks right down the frame of the camera and says, uh, we will be accepting the award on his behalf. Thank you. Good night. And the show just ends. Holy moly. It but, is. But, but the twist there, the twist there is at the end of the show, uh, Soderbergh makes off with all the Oscar trophies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I appreciated how well it was like, not well, it was directed, how it was actually directed. But, man, the producers really bet on a few things that just did not pay off for them, and it was very, very awkward. I mean, I would I would absolutely put it up there with the Moonlight La La Land situation. So if there's any clips you can find or whatever to watch, if you haven't seen it yet, um, please do. But I think it was the biggest uh, – I mean, I told you it was at Union Square Station. It was the biggest disaster at our train station since – <laughs> La arrival du train à un garage de salade. You know, it was that scary, that, honestly. That was probably an, a success at the station. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, but that, but we like that because it's so scary. I didn't right. like this because it was too scary. And then Anthony Hopkins won for that video of him dancing like a freak, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, which is funny because I think he was actually taking those videos like while he was on set for <laughs> The Father, which... Um, uh, let's talk about 2020 in general, Adam. Um, yes. What did you think of this year in film? Uh, again, I'm talking about this year. We're in like almost May of 2021, so <laughs> we're looking back quite a bit. But um, I know obviously it was the pandemic year, and I'm sitting here looking at my top 15, top 10, and uh, I'll speak first. I, I think it's like a fairly solid year where movies were definitely more available to us on streaming. So mm-hmm. if you really went out of your way to watch the movies that you think thought might be good, you could put together a very solid top 10 like I did. Yeah. And I think uh, it's the, it's the, there's a real strength in the independent films and the smaller films this year and the uh, auteurs, people of color and women and whatnot, um, which is great. Great to hear that maybe because blockbuster production companies have pulled their movies and are going to, you know, shoot them up uh, in the next few months or so, um, whatever it is, it's cool to see that that most of the best picture noms this year from the Oscars were all movies that I really, really liked. Yeah, I mean, it, the the pool was smaller to pull from, so when you saw the nominations, it wasn't so surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this, this year, I can definitely see the complaints of people who are the laymen at home, and I know the ratings were way down because people were like, I've never heard of any of these movies. It's like, yeah, because you didn't go, nobody could go to the movies this year. These are movies that just got dumped onto a streaming service that you don't pay for because you're not really, I mean, not to sound too pretentious, but you're not really a big fan of movies. But if you're a fan of movies, you were able to find some of these movies and you were able to see, you know, 15, 20 very, very good movies this year, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's a wonderful time, I think, you know, as we're getting into a better place in society here that, uh, we got to get at least a lot of cool uh, movies under our belt. Trevor, you were saying before the show, you watched 55 2020 movies. 
yeah, I usually average about uh, 75 to 80 new films a year. So 55 is down from my normal thing. Um, as you know, I mean, during the pandemic, I was probably more busy than I've ever been <laughs> at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that I was able to get uh, 55 in just makes sense because at the beginning of the year, I had the Regal Pass. Where I was really knocking out movies at Regals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then in the pandemic, you know, they, they, they just became more available, man. I went through so yeah. many candles at night just lighting up the candles and watching the new. <laughs> You know, I mean, we'll go over the movies I was able to watch at home, but I mean, uh, we'll talk about the what, what the what the future of theaters and rollouts is. But like, we were talking about like, am I going to watch Mortal Kombat? And I immediately was like, I don't think I'm going to get to it. And then I remember like, wait, it's on HBO Max. Like, yeah, I'll watch Mortal Kombat. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, I would not watch that movie if it was in the theaters. I don't think. But it's like so easy. If I have a if I have a free night, I'll just pop it on. Why not? Totally. And, that, and that's the key for myself as well as a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people are very busy, but it's like if I have a free night, if I have a free night, tech, uh, most of the time now I'm watching a movie for this podcast, which is which is fantastic. Right. And I, I love having our guests on who bring these movies that I haven't seen yet. And I'm able to just have a reason to watch a movie. And it's mostly what this movie uh, podcast is. But, uh, you know, 1500 downloads, you know, can't, can't argue against <laughs> that. Can't uh, but wrong. any other any other thoughts generally on 2020? Um, no, really great lineup. I don't know if any of the movies from this uh, year would like go down in uh, my personal favorites, you know, of all time kind of thing. But I think overall, maybe one of the stronger years, uh, at least in recent memory, since like, you know, maybe 2007 or so. Oh, wow. Really? You're putting 2020 as like one of the strongest years since 2007, really? I think so. I think uh, I don't think we've had a year that this was so like heavily influenced by like specific artistic visions, you know? I mean, okay. Green, what, what was it? Green Book won, no, no, Parasite, Parasite was a great time. The Green Book that won before that, you know? Oh, are you talking about specifically movies that were nominated for Oscars or just generally in the year? Just in general, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, because we were just talking about how I thought 2018 was super strong. Uh, I thought Name 20... one 2018 movie. I see, I listen, I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. No, uh, but yeah, that was like the Annihilation Widows, uh, Mandy Ooh, year. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of really great genre stuff that year. But right. um, go- going backwards, I-, I thought 2010 was extremely strong. Um, yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah. Honestly, the years they they do blend together. But uh, yeah, Inception and Wally in 2010 come off the top of my head, and those are both excellent. Yeah, 2010 is a uh, Blue Valentine, Scott Pilgrim, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 this year does not stick out to me as being any weaker or any stronger than any given year. I think it, it, it always just comes down to how much you're willing to search, how much you're willing to go through to actually see movies that you're going to enjoy. If um, you had Movie Pass, the, the those golden two years that Movie Pass existed, or if you have Regal and you're just able to have enough free time to go to the movies enough, you're gonna you're gonna end up seeing stuff that you like. So um, I, but, I thought this year was very solid. Yeah, but I think consistent too. Like I personally, I saw. At least from my account, I only saw 26 movies from 2020. Right. Uh, but my 26th movie, I ranked them all. Uh, I still liked. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, and you're able to just filter. Like, my buddy Justin makes fun of me because, like, the bottom half of my list, since I've had, you know, I saw double the movies you saw, but, the, you know, the bottom half of my list is bad movies. So it's like, <laughs> but, like, you know, I just like watching movies. And if I can ever get the chance to do it, I'll do it. But, right. um yeah, you just cut out the fat, right? Like you, yeah. you just basically took people's recommendations and watched the movies that you thought you would like. So right, um, exactly. that's that's definitely one smarter, more efficient way of going to the movies. <laughs> um, well, what do you think? We should should we get into it? Should we get into our top ten here? 
yeah, let's get into our top 10. Let's say our top 10s, and then uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break after this and hear from some uh, former guests of the show telling us their favorite movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is exciting for, for us specifically, hopefully for the viewers, obviously, for the <laughs> listeners. Um, but I don't know... Uh, I don't know what Trevor's top 10 are. He, he doesn't know what mine are. And I think we're both hoping to uh, surprise the other person here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have some honorable mentions that I will not say because then it would spoil what's not on my top 10. So we'll actually go over honorable mentions before we hop into the break. But mm-hmm. uh, how do you want to do this? Do you, you want to go like I say my number 10, then you say your number 10, then I say my number 9, you say your number 9? Uh, yeah, let's alternate with who starts. Um, okay, cool. And then at the end, we can recap it. But um, but but I want you, since since it's more likely that you've probably seen most of these, let me know if you haven't seen uh, any that I've seen. I know you've seen most of them, if not all of them. So. For sure. My glaring miss definitely did feel like it was The Father, and I almost watched yeah. it yesterday before, but I've heard that you really need to strap yourself down to watch that one, and that it's really heavy. And I wasn't in the mood, and like you mentioned earlier, I watched Attack of the Block anyway. <laughs> or I, I, Sorry, I watched Attack of the Block instead because right. – uh, I mean, and that, of course, is a more pleasurable viewing, I'm sure, than The Father. But So I'll start. Uh, my number 10 is, of course, a 2020 release. It is directed by Stephen Brill. Uh, I will give you the tagline, and you can guess the movie. Uh, the tagline is fear-less. So not fearless, but fear-less. Two different words. Um, any guesses so far what it is? Yeah, this is the uh, Nike movie. <laughs> no. Uh, no, I mean, you're not far. There's definitely some product placement in this one. But uh, I have logged this film twice on Letterboxd, and I will read the plot summary to you. Hubie Dubois, who, oh despite his devotion F to the you, hometown dude. of... What's up? F you. Uh, Hubie Dubois, who, despite his devotion to his hometown of Salem, Massachusetts, and his legendary Halloween celebration, is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike... But this year, something really is going to bump in the night, and it's up to Hubie to save Halloween. My number 10 film is Hubie Halloween. Uh, I (laughs) have watched this movie more than I've watched any other movie this year. It uh, will go over my honorable mentions of what it barely eclipsed. Uh, Some would argue some better films. Uh, But I would like to say that I am a huge, huge sucker for two things. Halloween set movies and Adam Sandler comedies. So this so happened to have a massive, massive crossover. Um, you're lucky I didn't put Adam Sandler in my contention for Best Actor. This is a very committed performance from this gentleman. Uh, great supporting cast. Um, some genuinely very funny minute, like 30 minutes in the beginning of the movie. Um, some very heartfelt stuff. Um, yeah, my number 10, Hubie Halloween. What do you think about that? You know, the only clip that I've seen from that movie is uh, with Adam Sandler riding on a bike down the street, and he's projectile vomiting for like a long time. Good. Okay, glad. That's your number 10. Happy to yeah, hear did, it. Did, did you see that clip on my Instagram? Because every time that part comes on, I, I record it. Maybe. That's pretty nuts, dude. <laughs> it's, uh, that is my number 10 movie of 2020. Again, we'll go over what missed out on the cut. But uh, I feel very confident about that. I feel very good about that, just like I do the rest of my list. Yeah, but I think if anybody's looking for something to watch, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if I watched it every Halloween. Like, I'm not, I know people think it's a bit on my Instagram that they see I'm watching it so much. And the truth is that I'm hopping in and out of the movie, but there's just something about it. Like, there's that Netflix budget behind it, and that, like, they put some money into it to make, like, the city of quote unquote Salem look all Halloween y. I don't know, man. Like, it's such a, a slam dunk to put at the very end of my top 10. So, um, I don't care what you say, I don't care what the listeners say. Number 10, he'd be Halloween for me. 
Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, as the listeners can tell right now, this is going to be a very surprising list to go through with the two of us. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns, a lot of unexpected picks. Um, so let's keep it rolling, I guess. Uh, my number 10 is much less uh, uh, Hubie. It uh, belongs to the fantastic Miranda, Miranda July. It's Kajillionaire, Trevor. Ooh, interesting. Kajillionaire. Yes. I uh, I loved this film. I thought there was a lot of uh, precious moments about life going on within the film that were all handled very well. It was it was very, uh, very impressive, I guess, to see all the different sort of themes that you could tackle about life and death and, and what it means to uh, connect to somebody. Uh, and it was funny and it was weird. Uh, and I loved it. I know you saw this, Trevor. What did you think? Um, yeah, you know what? You know what really stood out to me on this movie is the ensemble, and specifically Gina Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Like when she showed up in the movie, I was like, "Oh no!" Like I think I'm off board immediately. Like I think I'm out. And she was maybe the most dynamic of in the movie, and I thought everyone was really great. But spoiler: she almost made my supporting actress conversation. Like I, that's how good I thought her performance was. I, I really, really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I thought she did a great job, too. You know, I worked with her right before this, I, I'm assuming, before she started filming it. I can't help but think that I had some influence on her her role in that movie. Um, so I'll, I'll accept that. Uh, what, what were you doing working with Gina Rodriguez? Uh, actually, I wrote a short film for that was produced by Google, and she was starring in it. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Uh, number nine for me is going to be a 2020 film. And it is uh, directed by a gentleman named Lee Wanell. Do you know who this is? I happen to, yes. Mm-hmm. And the tagline is, what you can't see can hurt you. This is the Invisible Man. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, I saw this very early, of course. I believe it came out in the, right before everything shut down, so probably the end of February. I don't know, man, like for a, for we talked about it a little bit on the Creature from the Black Lagoon episode, but for a reimagining of a movie, like a, a B-side uh, of the Universal Monster movies, I thought this was very straight ahead. I thought Lee Winnell, as always, I'm, I'm a big fan of him, uh, did a great job keeping it grounded. Elizabeth Moss is just such a force in nature. This is not an actress you typically see star in movies like this. Uh, that fucking dummy Jason Blum produced this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, see, on mic, I actually was more vicious there than I was uh, during Ghosty Gate. But um, yeah, what did you, what did you think of The Invisible Man? I mean, uh, let's, we probably shouldn't be asking each other what we thought of these movies right. because just in case it's later on the list. But right. um, I'll just—I guess I'll, I already asked you. So, what do you think about it? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I did. I thought this was going to be in your top ten, actually. The last time that you and I got to see each other physically, I remember you uh, pretty hyping up this movie a lot. You were really into it. And I didn't get my chance to catch it in theaters because I think it shut down pretty close to after that conversation. Right. Um, this would have been the uh, second movie of the year that I saw that I really liked because I have one further up on my list um, that I enjoyed uh, quite a bit, um, quite a bit, a little bit more than this one mm-hmm. um, that came out earlier in the year. But yeah, this was like the, one of the first two movies I saw in 2020 that was like, oh shit, this like actually might be a contender for one of my top 10. And I know it's funny when you go see a movie, do you think of the way that I do? And it's like, of course, like no one, no one cares about our top 10 of the year list. Like we're not David Ehrlich or whatever, but do you ever see a movie and think, gee, I wonder if that one's going to end up uh, hanging on to my top 10 list this year? 
Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I, I it's usually the top 10 is going to hit me pretty hard. So if a movie I liked a lot, I'm like, okay, cool. This is something I'm going to be able to tell people I really liked in the future. You know? Totally. And that's how I was with The Invisible Man. Again, with Hubie Halloween, it was more of like a, it wore on me over time. I enjoyed it the first time. And then by the, you know, by the seventh and eighth viewing, I really thought, you know what? This should be in my top 10. But right. uh, so far, Hubie Halloween and The Invisible Man. Are you sensing a trend? Yeah, great choices. By the way, shout out to the movie Ash's Purest White because that movie rocked. Mm. It was not a 2020 film, but uh, please go check that out if you can see it. I, if I had this podcast earlier, it would have been on my 2019 year for sure. Awesome. What um, is your number nine? But my number nine for this year was a film that came out in 2020, Trevor. Uh, it was a film that you uh, you are not going to agree with, I don't think, at all. Uh, it's a little film called Mank. Mm. Maybe you've heard of it. Mank? I don't know why you would think that I'm going to disagree with you on this. This could be higher on my list. Uh, well, you did specifically mention on a prior podcast, I believe, that you are never going to watch that movie again. It doesn't mean it wouldn't make my top 10 of the year, but it's true. I just mentioned that about The Father, too. Like, people are right. saying you watch these very uh, adult, heavy films. Sometimes you don't want to revisit them. But you saw I revisited Mank the night of the Oscars. Yeah, let's play Defend Your Instagram Story. What's the deal yeah. there? Um, I just thought it'd be funny to throw on the opening credits of Mank after the after, the, after it won two Oscars. I don't know. I yeah. did not watch that film again. Um, I, have, I have had a little bit of an inkling to go back to it, though, for sure. But if I'm going to rewatch a David Fincher movie, I'm going to rewatch Alien 3 before I rewatch Mank. Right. I think uh, one of my close friends whose taste uh, I, I really love, um, he's a director. He's over at... Uh, at me? Is it me? It's not you. Oh. Uh, it's NY- He's over at NYU right now. Um, but he's... Uh, he, I was at, talking to him about Mank before I'd seen the movie, and he was not as hot on it. Uh, he did like it, but he did say that it looked like Sin City and that uh, Gary Oldman was incredibly miscast, which I agree with, although I loved his performance. Probably my favorite Gary Oldman performance in anything. Um, and yeah, I just had a great time. I thought it was uh, uh, akin to an epic almost, sprawling, told a lot of stories, and I liked uh, it. It, took a, it was a slow start, but when it found its groove, I was into it, baby. Um, I'm with you on the Oldman performance, by the way. He got nominated for an Oscar. He's hearing a lot of people like, what? But, like, I thought he was good. Like, yeah. I'm, so- I- I'm sorry, but I thought he was very good in the film. Um, definitely one of the reasons to watch it, uh, you know, alongside Amanda Seyfried. Uh, and, of course, the, the score was very good. Um, it won Best Cinematography, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts on Mank? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're watching it and you're having trouble, wait for the scene where, they, where Mank and his crew... Uh, his homies they pitch their movie like uh, at they ad lib a movie pitch. Uh, that's when it gripped me. That's when I was in it, and I, I really loved that scene. Right on. And the the election night scene was really strong too. I thought. Yeah, I think just that whole uh, that whole storyline and the fact that like it was all up to it reached ahead with Amanda Seyfried's character, and the reason she wouldn't like say anything is because she you know I, I don't want to get into it, but whoa, that was good. I really liked it. Totally. Um, uh, all right. My number eight, Adam, is a film from 2020, okay. and it is directed by uh, Eliza Hitman. Do you know this film? Uh, yes, I know this film. Her Journey, Her Choice. This is Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, mm-hmm. starring Sidney Flanagan and Talia Ryder. Talia Ryder, who was very much also in my conversation for Best Supporting Actress. Um, 
I love a movie that looks like this. Like this is like this felt like the most indie movie of the year to me. Had some mm-hmm. serious craft. I thought it was extremely well directed. I thought um, the two lead performances, like I said, from Sidney Flanagan and Tally Ryder, were very strong. Mm-hmm. Subject matter is um, you know somewhat timeless. Uh, I, mm-hmm. it felt, I just felt the angst. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a lot of people were bag- bagging on the never rarely sometimes always seen i thought that was great mm-hmm. um, I, th- I thought it was a really good use of the title um there's an amazing scene at the end with uh, the two girls holding hands that i found to be extremely effective um i just i don't know i love the way her camera moved i love uh the use of close-ups i, I thought it was very very strong and uh, i was not super aware of eliza hitman before this film and i will definitely watch anything she makes after it nice i think i'm, I'm i feel the same way about eliza hitman um Okay, I'm gonna I'm preface this by saying I like that movie, mm-hmm. um, but that is that's one of the last uh, previews I saw for for uh, before everything went down, and that that uh, trailer for that movie is one of the most boring, insufferable trailers I've ever seen, and it I I, I don't think I would have watched this movie had you not already seen it and told me that you liked it, and uh, knowing that we were gonna get into this episode. Uh, I'm with you on that. I went to go see a little movie called Portrait of a Lady on Fire at the Landmark. And this right. was, I believe, like the only trailer I remember that played before that. Right. And I'm with you. It's a very, very – it looks very by the numbers, very, to be honest, boring. Boring. Um, I remember people snickering after the trailer ended of like who's going to watch that. Right. Um, but it had great buzz around it. And uh, I think it's I think it's a – it's interesting. It's funny. Like I, we, my, my writing partner Ian and I write um, a lot of lower-budget th- horror movies. And um, we could only dream of having the um, the naturalistic feel of Eliza Hitman's camera. Like I thought – I just – I love the way – I love the way the movie looked. Mm-hmm. Okay, good choice. Uh, my number eight is uh, our first documentary. I think we're going to be talking about uh, maybe our only one. It is Hulu's In and of Itself. Have you seen this, Trevor? Whoa! What year did it come out? Uh, twenty twenty, my friend. Okay. Uh, um, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I watched it on a whim. Um, there's a podcast I really like, Min Max, and uh, the host of it, Ben Hansen, was talking about how he liked it. Uh, so I had some free time. I decided to throw it on. Uh, it's ba- it's just a recording. It's barely a documentary. It's just a, a, a recording of a live performance that happened in New York. I think they did like over 500 shows of this show, this one-man show in and of itself, um, where it's a, basically a guy. He's part a magician, part like, a, I don't know, maybe like a philosopher. It's very interesting, his ideas. Um, but it just revolves around the theme of identity and what it means to be a person and how other people perceive you. And I thought it was really affecting. It was really charming. Uh, just really cool to watch. I wish I could have been there for a live viewing of it because uh, there's a nice... Uh, the way that it ends is pretty incredible. Um, and is, is this the part where I'm uh, man enough to admit that I have never heard of this film? Yeah, baby. We got him. Your number seven film of the year is a documentary currently streaming on Hulu. Number eight of the year, I apologize. Yes, it's... Uh, and uh, tell the listeners again what the name of it is. In and of itself. And uh, make sure the and is an ampersand, because it's harder to find if you type in A-N-D of itself. Very nice, very nice. Uh, yeah, uh, I recommend. I, yeah, I think the less said about that movie, the better. Just kind of let people find it. Um, I'll mm-hmm. check it out. I mean, I respect my co-host enough to... If he throws a movie <laughs> in his top ten, I'm going to check it out. Nice. But... Uh, there you go. There's your first one that I have never heard of. So, cool. uh, and not seen, of course. Um, my number. What are we on? Seven. Yes. 
My number seven of the year is directed. Oh, uh, first of all, it came out in the year 2020. It's directed by Kathy Yan. Do you know what this film is? No, I don't. Uh, tagline is Mind Over Mayhem. Uh, here is the, here's this plot summary. <laughs> it's open season on Harley Quinn where her explosive breakup yeah. with the Joker puts a big fat target on her back. This is Birds of Prey nice. and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Uh-huh. I do not know what to tell you here, man. I do not know what to tell you. I went and saw this movie with my Regal Pass by myself, got a Slurpee early February, only one in the theater. I had a blast, man. This cast... Of course, you have Margot Robbie, who's always awesome as um, uh, Harley Quinn. You had uh, Ewan McGregor plays like this very kind of femme villain. He's fantastic. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is always good and everything. Journey Smollett, um, she was like the breakout star of this movie. She was fantastic. Rosie Perez is in it in a really cool um, supporting role. Chris Messina, who's in like everything. He was great as Ewan McGregor's um, kind of heavy slash possible lover. Um very like this is what like i i hate the deadpool movies i hate them like this is what like this is like deadpool kind of in the dceu um but just not nearly as obnoxious because you have margot robbie holding it down it just struck a chord i don't know i thought this i thought like you know kathy yan did a fantastic job directing i love the uh the women ensemble um i have nothing but good things to say about this movie and i I know i'm not alone i mean i I know this is really high for my top 10 like number seven but like i don't think people will find it that crazy uh i I didn't do that well when it came out but generally everyone that i've talked to uh who liked it was generally like hey like people need to see this movie it's actually really good and i think i think it had a really nice life on hbo max when it came out on there yeah, that's great to hear. I'm glad you do have that on here. I regrettably did not see it. Um, I did want to watch it after we saw Promising Young Woman because I want, kind of wanted to see an sort of alternative uh, idea to like a very, uh, you know, um, stylish uh, women-led film. Um, I did not see it. However, uh, this is definitely number one on my mom's personal top 2020 list. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and she's she's yeah. not like a super and my mom has pretty good taste you know she likes to go out and, and watch as many as she can but sure. i know that she loved it um and that she uh i think she's seen it like four times already too whoa yeah no i've only seen it the one time but i i can't wait to uh like uh jen hasn't seen it and like she does not really a big fan of the superhero stuff but i'm like uh although she said she had went and saw um the justice league with you but um yeah. she said that she well, we, we saw fan. it at home we didn't go anywhere <laughs> See, I try to fucking roast myself, and then you just throw, you try to up, you double down on the cuckold situation. But uh, I think she'll actually like Buds of Prey if she would get off her phone and watch it. I think she'd have a good time with it. I think it would have been one that, it, it, had I not gone and seen it by myself, if she had come with me, because we have the Regal Pass together, so she can come sit with me and uh, in, a, in, a, in a comfortable recliner and be on her phone. I think she may have looked from her phone a few times on this one. So, <laughs> Wow, roasted Jen, too. Yeah, someone uh, who for sure 100% does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you have that. And, I, you know, I'm definitely going to watch that soon. I promise. I think I think maybe this weekend I'll just watch Mortal Kombat, Birds of Prey, you know, really enjoy myself. Yeah, I don't I don't care if you watch it or not. It's, it's my number seven uh, on my <laughs> Thank list. You. Uh, Adam, what is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is um, from director Kitty Green. You know where I'm going with this? No, I do not. It's uh, The Assistant. Oh yeah. Okay. I that, here's another one. I have not seen the assistant. Nice. The assistant is very, uh, very potent. 
I'll say. It's very specific in its intention. It's another post-Me Too era. I think, uh, you know, we'll just get it out there. I think it uh, has these ideas that are a lot stronger and more real than Promising Young Woman. Although Promising Young Woman is uh, covers a lot of bases, you know, in general, those ideas. Whereas the assistant is specific to the film business or working for someone who is, um, you know, a bad dude. Uh, and it, it's very, uh, as someone who's worked as an assistant myself in the industry, um, it is very, uh, specific to that job. It captured it perfectly. The movie kind of, it has no music in the whole film and it just moves through moments throughout this poor woman's day. Who's just trying to make it through this very difficult, who works for a very difficult, you know, Weinstein-esque type of person. Um, nothing ever happens to her throughout the film, thankfully, which I think makes it a lot more accessible. However, she picks up on on some some shady stuff that this guy is doing throughout throughout slowly, you know. Um, and it's just cool. To, it's just impressive, I think, to see her struggle not only with with what he's doing, but with the stress of the job, you know, which is a very real thing and 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 captured and shot so beautifully, I think. Nice. Yeah. Um, this was, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it actually played at Sundance, but this felt like a very Sundance release, just like never really sometimes always. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt very difficult to me. It's probably why I haven't been too excited. Again, it would have been a film that had I been able to catch it in the theaters, I would have been, uh, I would have gone and been forced to be off my phone and watch it, you know, but at home, mm-hmm. I think I would struggle a little bit with it. Um, I actually, you know, ne- it, it moves pretty quickly and you know, Mr. Runtime, I think it's only about 88 minutes or so. All right. That, that's that's what I like to hear. Anything yeah. under 100 minutes makes my list. So you've sold me. I will check that out now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, my number six is a film from 2020, and it is not that the rest of my list, you know, has been a goof around. I've really liked Hubie, The Invisible Man, Never Really, Sometimes Only, and Birds of Prey. This is when we really start to finally get into it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched this movie on the big screen but during the pandemic how do you say well because i went and watched it yeah uh at the frida cinema uh after hours uh when it was released at midnight and it was on netflix this is from director charlie kaufman oh nothing is yeah (laughs) nothing by the way the perfect way to watch this movie is on the big screen if you were watching it on netflix at home and didn't quite dig it maybe you would have had a better shot on the big screen but Mm -hmm. uh, nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at the remote farm this is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, uh, starring Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, David Thuellis. It's just a fantastic cast. Um, you know, of course, some people found this to be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Kaufman did a really good jo- uh, job um, with the source material. Uh, yes, there are long stretches in the car. Um, the first one is not interminable because it's the first scene. I think the second scene in the car is great because of the... Uh, Pauline Kale, Woman on the Verge, or is it? Uh, it's a Cassavetti movie that she's quoting the whole time. It's very mm-hmm. entertaining. Um, but the set piece at the house, um, the yes. thirty-minute set piece at the house, and some of the stuff that happens at a um, frozen dessert stand. Uh, some of the best stuff I've seen all year. Super surrealist, classic Charlie Kaufman. Very, very dark, very esoteric, um, very depressing. Uh, it, it hits every single 
note that I want from a movie, essentially. And Mm -hmm. it looked fantastic on the big screen. So, uh, yeah, my number six slam dunk. I'm thinking of ending things. You're probably one of the few who got to see that on a big screen. That that's then that's the that's the thing is that like I I definitely count myself as being very lucky as having been one of the people who saw it on the big screen. It definitely held my attention because it was on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I could see people definitely tuning out on some of those long stretches. <laughs> um, and you, this movie got like no awards love, which I yeah. think is really interesting because when I think back on this year, uh, dis- despite my top five, I'm about to tell you about this one will be one of the top two or three that I think of for sure. It was it, it left a big mark on me. Nice. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, going back to the scene, uh, the kitchen scene specifically when they're eating dinner together is one of my favorite scenes from the year, hands down. It was such a good, tense, weird scene. I loved it. Totally. And because of having Tony Collette in there, it does feel a little hereditary ish, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, more hereditary is fine with me. I, th- I think it did hereditary <laughs> better than hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just me saying, I think Hoffman's a better filmmaker than Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. I like Ari Aster a lot. He's got a little bit of a way to go to match Charlie Kaufman's three year career. So, right. And, and it's arguable that Kaufman's just a genius as it is. Totally, and then people will look back on this and probably call it lower tier Kaufman because it's a movie that got dumped on the Netflix. It didn't get right. dumped on the Netflix; it was produced by Netflix. Um, had it actually gotten a decent rollout in the year twenty twenty, and then you got to see it on the big screen like I did, maybe you would be talking about your different top five or top six. But yeah, hey, and Netflix me, it's gets it going. Six. Netflix got that good stuff, homie. Yeah, um, for sure. They got they throw money <laughs> like crazy. Is insane. What's your yeah. number six? My number six is, uh, uh, you asked me this question. I did not see this movie in theaters. I saw it recently. It is Reichardt's First Cow. Dude, I have not seen this fucking movie yet. Really? Interesting. I have not I have not seen this movie yet. I accused you of having seen it at the Arrow on film. Uh-huh. So you've had three movies in a row that I, ha- I have straight <laughs> up not seen. Wow. Uh, that, God, I, I just haven't gotten to it. I, I swear I will. And my top 10 will probably change and I'll amend it on the show if I need to. But yeah, sorry, go on. You should do it because it just went down in price to own on Amazon. Uh, I don't know if you can rent it, but I was like hesitant to buy it because I think it was about 20 bucks. It was only available to buy. And then finally it went down, I think, to like five or seven bucks on Amazon. And so I was like, yeah, I'll own this movie. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I really liked it. It's very slow in its pacing. It's a tale of uh, essentially friendship. And uh, the ideas of, of making it, you know, in a, in a new found world uh, and, and the struggles that come with that and just some very genuine moments of, of togetherness and uh, struggling and striving. And there, there's a very, very like uh, chef's kiss scene, um, which I won't spoil, but it happens at the beginning of the movie and it, it kind of recontextualizes the whole film, um, something that you you'd like to talk about with someone else who'd seen this film, uh, which I'd love to talk about on here, but unfortunately I cannot. You know what? I have a feeling that a lot of the listeners have not seen first cow and having not seen it. If it's Adam's number six and I'm kind of kicking myself for having not seen it before this show, you should probably go out and see it. Uh, like he said, it's, it's a little bit cheaper now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it had such a small run when it came out and I just didn't have time to get to it. And then, when it went on to VOD, it was just kind of like, I'm not going to pay $20. Like, I don't know. Like, right. yeah. So I'll, I'll get to it. I will definitely get to it eventually. Of the ones you've said that I have lied about getting to eventually, I actually will get to first count. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll see. And support, you know, support more women uh, directors. Kelly Reichardt is like a such a strong visionary, and uh, I think she nailed it here. 
Yeah, and women directors. I mean, we uh, never really, sometimes, always has been on this list. Birds of Prey has been on this list. Now you have a Kelly Rockhart joint. Any, anything else? Cajillionaire, too. Cajillionaire, for sure. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's uh, a the really, assistant. Really strong year. The assistant, too. Is hey, Kitty Green. You, you brought it up at the beginning of the show. Definitely uh, a huge year for uh, POC and uh, women directors. I mean, mm-hmm. as I think the future holds, for sure. Definitely in the indie uh, realm for yeah. now. Yeah. Until we can make the move to massive uh franchises and stuff like that but my number five is from director lee isaac chung and in the year 2020 this is minari it's the 1980s and david and his seven-year-old korean american boy i'm sorry it's the 1980s and david a seven uh, they're they're saying david is the lead character of this film david a seven-year-old korean american boy i think so there's new surroundings uh, and a different way of life with his father. Jacob moves their entire family from the West Coast to rural Arkansas. Yes, yes, yes. This is Minari. What else can be said? Um, easily could have made my number. It could have been my number one movie of the year. I mean, I, I watched it. Uh, we'll be talking about Best Director later. Just such a light touch, uh, such a great score, such an awesome ensemble. I wish Han Yuri had been given just a little more attention in award season. I think that she's actually the best uh, performance in this movie. But uh, Stephen Yoon deserves his flowers. Uh, the whole cast is absolutely fantastic. Uh, what else can be said about Minari? I, th- I think it's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. 824's prestige push of the year. Uh, we played it at the drive-in three nights in a row. People absolutely love it. I love it, too. It's my number five. Yeah, and a nice uh, sort of juxtaposition to your number six, because uh, where Minari is sort of art house, it's very digestible. Uh, Kaufman's isn't as much, but Minari is just like a really, really good enjoyable film which i feel like a24 can always go either way right yeah definitely i mean it's like it's almost like all of the pieces fall together and then you just watch a movie that's just so enjoyable and perfectly done and then it's just like but that's not that's not done by luck again mm-hmm. we'll talk about it in our best director thing but uh minari number five for me good choice uh so we're, we're getting into the top five so that's prestigious right and at the bottom of that my number five is going to be uh darius martyrs film a very quiet one sound of metal Ooh, sound of metal yeah this is available on amazon prime you know heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into free fall when he begins to lose his hearing uh i loved the uh nature of this film the sort of small scope i really didn't think what i I didn't know what i was getting into and uh i think like others we were getting whiplash vibes from trailers and posters of this film um, only really being egged on by uh, critics trying to carry this movie. I'm glad I ended up checking it out because it was absolutely wonderful. It pretty much has nothing to do with metal music. At, at one point, it, it veers off from that and becomes all about, uh, I guess, what what finding your place in a family means. Um, but I, I, I loved it, and uh, Riz nailed it. I almost dyed my hair because I was so inspired. Yeah, speaking of dyeing your hair, I mean the the only clip uh, that my group chat, uh, my buddies Justin Zishan, you know, we we the only picture we had for a long time for Sound of Metal was that bleach blonde Riz at the drum kit, mm-hmm. which is I believe is the um, poster for the movie. Yeah, and I knew it was from producer Derek C. in France, who Blue Valentine and um, Place Upon the Pines are like two of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and I just immediately was like, it's debuting at TIFF. Uh, Toronto International Film Festival. So I have to. This this has got to be like a slam dunk movie for me. I gotta watch this movie. And then it got got it got um quote unquote dumped onto um Amazon. But it would have been this would have been a movie that would have been like rollout weekend one to the ArcLight Dome. R.I.P. 
uh, we got to see Sound of Metal. So um, it's cool that it's making a, it's it's on your top five. That's that's very like you mentioned, very prestigious, very much so. Yeah, I loved it. Do you think there's a failing on the uh, uh, the PR here? Because I mean, you look at that poster. It it doesn't give any hint to what the movie's about, pretty much at all. In fact, it drives it in the other direction. It's tough for me to say because I think it's such an amazing poster. It is great poster, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, but like for the, like the layman or whatever, um, it, it, it on there should say from like the producers of Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines. But at the same time, I don't think that adds anything to the layman anyway. So right. I, I don't know how they sell this movie. Yeah, uh, that's Riz, Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook's name and Paul Rice. certainly like those names are not going to sell it. So yeah, that's um, it, it almost when it landed on Amazon, people were kind of disappointed. I was like, I feel like that's maybe what would have happened regardless of pandemic to be honest with you i mean like i i know they had already purchased it pre-pandemic anyway Mm -hmm. so i was curious that it was probably going to play new york and you know la and then it was probably going to be dumped online so Mm -hmm. um i'm glad you liked it yeah um uh, me too uh so what's your number four my number four is Kajillionaire. Nice. <laughs> so okay. We've already gone over this. Uh, I, dude, I love this movie. I watched it and I was just smitten by it. Yeah. Um, you know, as as far as the the Miranda July of it all goes, um, you know, I I liked this film probably the most out of her filmography, um, which is you know not not necessarily extensive in any way. But uh, Evan Rachel Wood's fantastic. I already mentioned Gina Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, of course you have, uh, the dad, God, I can't, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. It's not Richard Stanley. Richard Stanley's that freak director, Richard Jenkins. <laughs> Richard Jenkins is so good in it. Um, I know everybody likes uh, me and you and everyone we know in the future and stuff like this, but Kajillionaire just definitely is the more accessible film. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when these more avant-garde directors go or these awkward, uh, dramedy directors go slightly more accessible. It just kind of hits that sweet spot for me. So my number four movie of the year is Kajillionaire. It was on Adam's top ten. Is this the first crossover we've had? I I think it is, Trevor. That's pretty yeah. strange. We made it this so, far. That's a that's a Ghost Party Radio exclusive right there. Kajillionaire, check it out. Kajillionaire. I agree. I think uh, right before watching this movie, I watched um, Me, You, and Everyone We Know, which I think is a solid film. But I do think Kajillionaire is such a strong. Uh, voice in filmmaking I, I i would say this is probably her best right well we need more <laughs> we yeah. need more from brandon july for sure but yeah. she just i guarantee she's not interested in making more movies so that's so um yeah and speaking of crossover it's you know we'll see but i'm thinking maybe hubie makes it in your top three uh, uh let's see if her uh her partner uh what's his name mills what's wait what's that uh miranda july's like husband what's what's his oh name? my uh my, mike mills yeah mike mills maybe he'll inspire yeah. her to make some more stuff because uh, i would love to see more miranda july yeah for sure um all right my number four is a uh uh i'll just get right into it it's uh from the up-and-coming i would say shaka king which ah, is judas nice. and the black messiah nice uh, I thought this movie was like a fantastic, spr- another sprawling sort of pseudo-epic uh, tale entwined of two folks, uh, two real-life folks, Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill, played, played, you know, spectacularly, I think everyone can agree, by Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield, both probably in their best performances, and that's saying a lot because those two uh, know how to kick it, kick it pretty hard. Um, this film told the history of this very like 
uh, how would you even say it? This like black stain on American history as so many things are when it comes to the uh, Black Panthers or just the civil rights movement in general. Um, but the way that it told it as uh, almost Shakespearean, you know, in, in its uh, intrigue and its misdirection and whatnot. I love this movie. This just missed out of my top 10. We'll go over it when we get to my uh, also rants. But, um, yeah, very good, very good pick. Um, part of me wants to believe that if Ryan Coogler had directed this, and I mean, and nothing wrong. Shaka King's obviously a very up-and-coming voice, but I love Coogler outside of Black Panther. I think he's a great director. I would have really liked to see him tackle this. And um, It's just a bummer he's working on like Black Panther 2, and it's like, right. damn, he could have made this movie. But I don't know. Um, I, I really like Coogler too, but I think I don't. I think Shaka King's uh, style I really enjoyed here. For sure, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, um, did a fantastic job with it. Obviously, there was the huge controversy of like if Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are both <laughs> in the supporting category, who's the lead? Is it right. Jesse Plemons? That makes no sense. Um, just total cop out by the Oscars there, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad at the same time they both got nominated in some way. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons second showing up on this uh, list. <laughs> right. Uh, do you think that that I was I was listening and it's such a weird choice to have the two main protagonists as supporting actors. But do you think that 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 was somewhat in a move to avoid uh, competing with Chadwick? I mean, it's definitely just, um, yeah, it's definitely studio bullshit of like, we can just get away with putting these both in supporting actor comedy, like, uh, uh, sorry, the supporting actor category, and maybe people won't even watch these movies, and we'll just get away with it. Right. I, I hate the Oscars. I really do. Yeah, and I, 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 can't, I, I love the fact that I watched this year's Oscars. That was such a shit show where it just made me be like, cool, I can just take off next year. No reason to watch this stuff. There's always that one, one or two movies that you're always pulling for, right. uh, and we'll get to those, but... um. Adam, I have a suggestion here. Before we get into our top three, mm-hmm. uh, why don't we take a quick break and throw to some of our uh, past guests talking about their favorite movies of the year? Good I do. Good I do. Good I do. You know what? I'm getting more sober, so I'm sorry, everybody. Good idea, Trevor. Let's hear from some of our friends. Hey, Ghost Party listeners. This is Diego Crespo. You might remember me from the Jupiter Ascending podcast where we declared that that was the greatest film ever made. Uh, but the greatest film of 2020, however, in my opinion, was Spike Lee's Five Bloods, a genre-blending, politically charged, technically adventurous film that is Spike Lee at the height of his powers, his most unrestrained, and potentially one of his most optimistic films. Uh, it was not awarded with any awards publicly, but it should have, and I'm here to shout it out today. Hi, this is Adriana. I believe I was the first guest on the pod, and that was the Revenge Genre episode discussing I Saw the Devil and its incredible jacking off scene. Um, My favorite movie of 2020 would have to be Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, directed by Eliza Hittman, and I literally just now understood what the title is referencing. Uh, Anyway, there um, have obviously been a ton of movies made in this genre, but I don't think any have um, been done this well and beautifully and I'm sure there's tons of people on Letterboxd who have better things to say about how it's shot and directed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really moved me was how it depicted friendship in a way that I deeply believe in, you know, that you show up for your friends 100% no matter what. Um, there's been a lot of discourse around like boundaries and emotional labor when it comes to friendships. And it's like, no, this is what it's all about. Take it or leave it. You take a miserably long bus ride. You spend the night in a disgusting train station. You make out with a gross guy if your friend needs you to. You know, 
And that's that. And, um, you know, as women, we have to be navigating really complicated healthcare systems and adult situations at such a young age. And I, I really appreciate how she um, portrayed that in the movie. And yeah, it's really hard to get an abortion if you're poor or don't live in a big city. FYI. Okay, that's all. Bye bye. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Cody, captain of the Nostalgic Nebula, and I was on episode 13 of Ghost Party Radio's podcast talking about Attack of the Clones from the Star Wars franchise. At first, I didn't think I watched any new movies in 2020, certainly a lot of old movies, but I do remember one. I watched Sonic the Hedgehog. That was the last movie that I got to see before things shut down for the pandemic, and I certainly would have seen it a lot more. It was a lot of fun. It's a great popcorn flick. And it is Jim Carrey doing what he does. And if you love that, then you're going to love the movie. So check it out. My name is Jordan Jahangiri, and I was episode 12 guest um, for the movie Flash Gordon on the Ghost Party Radio podcast. Um, my favorite movie of 2020 was a movie called Cuties. You might want to check it out. Netflix did it real dirty, um, but I would like to use this platform to tell everyone to go watch it and give it a chance, and uh, don't believe the media. Thanks. Hello, Trevor, Adam, Ghost Party listeners. This is Anthony McElroy. I was on, I don't know which episode or number it was, but uh, we talked about The Crow. We talked about Brandon Lee during our revenge saga. I think uh, uh, so many great films, it's hard to talk about one, but there's no conversation about the best films of the year would be complete without mentioning Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock. Uh, this was uh, the shortest of a collection of five films released by Steve McQueen this past year. Uh, I think that the filmmaking in, in Lover's Rock especially is some of the most exquisite uh, that I think I've seen out of, out of my favorites this year. Um, not only is it technically brilliant, but as, as a sort of, as a, as a character, as a mood piece, as, as a, uh, as just sort of a, a, a bit of imagery, it, it's breathtaking. And, and it's astonishing that this came and went without any theatrical fanfare. And, uh, yeah, I, if I could urge anyone to watch anything from this past year, it would be Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock. Hey, this is Jonathan. You know the guy that brought you Space Mutiny, the best space opera to come out of this podcast? Well, I'm here to recommend my 2020 recommendation for Best Picture. And that film goes out to Palm Springs. That's right, Palm Springs, directed from the Lonely Island. You know, the guys that brought you Popstar and Hot Rod and all those Saturday Night Live digital shorts that you love so much, like I'm on a boat and Dick in a Box? Yeah, those guys. But this time, they've grown up. They've matured, and they've brought you not only a funny, fun film, but it's endearing, and it's romantic, and... I just cannot praise this film enough, and I'm hoping, hoping that you're out there saying, I gotta check this film out. Now, you may have missed it at the drive-in when it was launched nationally, but you have a chance to check it out on Hulu, and I totally recommend Palm Springs. Check it out if you are looking for the best film of 2020. Hey there, this is Sean Yunus from the best Ghost Party Radio episodes so far covering Blue Ruin. Also, winner of the coveted Zeeshan Yunus Best Kill Award. I'm here to talk about my favorite film of 2020, which is She Dies Tomorrow by the incredibly talented Amy Simetz, writer and director. 
Um, the tagline of this movie is, uh, Amy thinks she's dying tomorrow and it's contagious. And I think that represents the incredible simplicity that this movie approaches, uh, the existential crises that we all kind of go through. Um, and it's told through such a nuanced and personal and delicate lens. And I'm incredibly excited about it coming out in 2020 and I watched it three times loved every second of it and I've recommended it to everybody that I know and I hope that listeners of this podcast episode stop what they're doing literally immediately don't even listen to the rest of this list and just watch she dies tomorrow and then thank me later for it hi hi we're time warp radio and we were on the season of the space opera Yes, we covered the fifth element. And we found that we are all the fifth element, ultimately. And my favorite movie of 2020, which I had to look up online because... I have no concept of time anymore. Yeah, the movies I thought that came out last year, apparently I thought came out in 2017. Uh, <laughs> so my favorite movie was The Lodge because it terrified the poop out of me. I remember feeling so viscerally affected when I was watching it in the theater and every everything surprised me and when I watched it a second time it was like reading a really good book. My favorite movie of 2020 was Birds of Prey because we love a good female director and we love a good mm -hmm. female empowerment story. Fuck yeah. Yo. This is Kevin Cookman from Aya vs. the Big Boys and Merry Go Round Magazine. And the best movie of 2020 was Lover's Rock, which is a part of Small Acts, which is absolutely, definitely, 100% a series of films, a collection of films, not a TV series. Sorry, TV, you've stolen enough from film, but you can't have this one. Look, there's many reasons to love Lover's Rock. It's space, it's mood, it's everything. But let's just be honest. The people in that film are going to have more sex in their one night than any of us will ever experience in our entire lives. Movie of the year, movie of the decade, movie of the life. And we're back at the uh, Golden Ghosty Awards uh, 2020. Adam, uh, I loved hearing from our guests there. Some of our favorite people who have been in the podcast in the past. Some crowd favorites, some fan, some listener favorites. What did you think of that? Yeah, you were turning into a Jack Nicholson there. Yeah, I said, eh, a bunch of times. <laughs> and uh, I like hearing from our guests there. Yeah, um, well, clearly I haven't heard any of the messages yet. I'm just saying this, so they could have gone on some insane tirades <laughs> that I don't know about. But uh, right. we reached out to all of our guests, obviously, previous to this episode. And um, I love everybody we've had on the show so far. So I'm sure they didn't go too crazy on those uh, voicemails that they left us. Right. Um, by the way, I want to be clear. When I was saying that, I was talking about Judas and the Black Messiah and saying how, you know, moments in history around the civil rights are so often, you know, in a, from a, come from a dark place. That's pretty much specifically because of uh, the government keeps killing off all these heroic, inspiring leaders over and over. Um, so that's why, uh, that's why it's always a bummer to, to get into those movies because it becomes so disheartening at, at some point, you know. Yeah, no, totally. I, I understood what you meant. And I think anybody who's ever listened to an episode of the show and knows you, which is a modicum, knows what you meant. 
But um, let's get into our top three. Um, Hit me. I'm going to go ahead and start off with a movie that I thought when I watched it was going to be my favorite movie of the year. It was uh, usurped by a few other movies. But Mm. this is from director Lawrence Michael Levine. Do you know where I'm going with this? I do not. I'm excited. All right. This is here. I'll give you another hint. This is from the year 2020. Interesting. Okay. At a remote lake house. In the mountains, a couple entertains an out-of-town guest looking for inspiration in her filmmaking. Uh, this film is called Black Bear, starring Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, and Sarah oh. Gadon. Uh, I loved this movie. I have recommended it to a few of my volunteers. My One of my volunteers, Sammy, watched it. He also loved it. Uh, <laughs> it has a 3.6 on Letterboxd. It's generally well-received. Um, it looks like so many of my friends on Letterboxd have seen it, including past guests who we just heard from, Kevin Cookman, uh, Adriana, who was also a past guest. They, they gave it four and four and a half stars. Wow. Uh, uh, Sammy gave it four and a half stars. Um, yeah, so it seems like people who have been on this show or people that we know really, really like this movie, Adam. Uh, like I mentioned, it's written and directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. Uh, has uh, an incredible cast. Uh, th- this ensemble just delivers awesome stuff. Uh, it is very. I'm hearing a lot of a lot of Cassavetes type stuff. Uh, it's uh, the first half of it is just so tense and so like we were talking about the scene, the surrealist nature of the scene. In um, I'm thinking of ending things at the at the house. Think that basically for the entirety of a movie. Aubrey Plaza with just this world eating performance. I think she's fantastic in it. Like I, I think she finally gets to that level that we all wanted Aubrey Plaza to get to. Christopher Abbott, I cannot say enough about him. Sarah Gadon, who I'd never seen anything before, she's great in it. I think the less I say about this movie, the better. I can't recommend it more. Anybody who's listening to this, check out Black Bear from 2020. That's awesome. I have not seen that. Uh, it was barely on my radar, and now I absolutely have to go see it. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, listen, you don't have to listen to me, but it is. Um, I am one of the co-hosts of Ghost Party Radio, and it is right. my number three movie of 2020. <laughs> well, good choice. My number three is uh, our second overlap of the night, Trevor. It is Minari. Um, I loved Minari. I loved the uh, just authentic nature of the film. I mean, we already talked, covered it a little bit, but yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm a sucker for a couple of things. One of them is an unlikely f- pure friendship. Uh, and we see that between uh, Stephen Yoon's character and that one, uh, you know, religious dude. Yeah, Will Patton. Will Patton, yeah, who, who nailed the part, the subtlety of like a, a really extremist kind of dude mm-hmm. um, who's still a good guy. Right. Um, and then uh, my second thing is a nice grandma relationships that you get. And I love my grandma. Uh, I spent a lot of time with her in, during uh, the pandemic. Um, and it was nice to see her, you know, bonding with her children, even if it was off to a rocky start. Uh, the point where she, uh, you know, she hugs her, her grandson and says that she won't let anything happen to him. You know, there's a, something that happens after that, which uh, which is both moments very powerful, struck struck a chord very strongly for me. Yeah, I mean, not surprised this is a crossover. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a really great movie. Um, <laughs> it won, I believe, the uh, Grand Jury Prize at Sundance mm-hmm. in 2020. So it really put it was on everyone's list, and a lot of people were saying like, "This is it. This is best picture. This is best picture." Because you know we were also coming off the parasite craze. Right. Um, I think it should have been best picture. 
uh, of the movies that were nominated. Although I guess we'll get to that. Maybe I don't think that, but um, maybe Mank might be making a, an appearance on my list <laughs> yeah, later. Surprise, but, Mank. Um, but I just think in terms of just like a perfect movie, Minari is as close as we got this year to a perfect movie. I feel like there's just no shag yeah. on it whatsoever. I think it's just yeah, it's just I, down the middle slam dunk. I agree with you completely. And I, you know, we we can only hope it's a Steven Yeun star maker. <laughs> yeah, uh, God, it's cool. Steven Yeun's been in some great stuff lately. I mean, we have this, we have Burning, Okja yeah. before that, and yeah. uh, right now I've been enjoying Invincible. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you watch. I know you don't watch that because it's one a TV show and two it's animated. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's pretty solid. The the main cast of three is uh, Steven Yeun, J.K. Simmons, and Sandra Oh. Yeah, I mean, this is really strong. Very strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I love Minari. Uh, moving on to my number two. Uh, we have another crossover here at the very top of the list. Uh, the tagline is, music was his world. Then silence revealed a new one. Mank, uh, Mank, Mank. Yes, it is David Fincher's Mank. No, <laughs> uh, this is uh, Darius Martyrs, of course. Um, Toronto Film Festival breakout, Sound of Metal. We've mm-hmm. already talked about it a lot. Um, I think Riz Ahmed is fantastic in it. I'm always a big fan of Olivia Cook. Never heard of Paul Racy before this movie. He's absolutely fantastic in it. Oh yeah. Uh, the more we talk about this, and the more that I drink on this episode, the it is possible that I start crying talking about this film. Yeah. It is extremely well directed, uh, extremely well acted, which is part of that, of course. The use of sound is fantastic. I'm very happy that it won two Oscars, even though I continue to say, like, I don't care about Oscars. It's cool when a movie like Sound of Metal. When Sound of Metal won sound, I was like, that makes sense. And then it went up against Trial of Chicago 7 for editing, right? Mm-hmm. Trial of Chicago 7 was favored for editing because it has the most editing. In courtroom dramas, there's a lot of snapping back and forth between the characters, right? Right. But I felt very strongly in my heart that Sound of Metal was the best edited movie of the year. Like, no question in my mind when I watched it, it stood out as, damn, this movie's edited really well. Mm-hmm. So when it won the Oscar for Best Editing, I literally cheered. I was like, yes! And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing right now? But it is cool when people who actually make a good movie get uh, recognized for making a good movie. Because so often we see a movie that's like, eh, not all that great, gets nomin- or nominated and ends up winning. Um but Sound of Metal it deserves anything it can get, really. I, I just think that I think it's so strong. I think it's fantastic. Uh, if you would have told me that Dark Sea in France directed it, I would have told you, yeah, he absolutely did. But you can feel <laughs> him as a producer. But now I guess I gotta check. I gotta I gotta check out Darius uh, Martyr. Anything he makes, I gotta check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the, the, my biggest takeaway from this movie is just a certain feeling in this film um, that the actors and the writing gets across. That I think I I don't know if I felt in another film. Um, yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it deals with a subject matter that isn't really talked about too much on film. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been a while since we talked about a um, the uh, uh, deaf and dumb community like this. And I, I think it's yeah. I think it's so like when you hear the pitch for the movie, it's like a metal drummer loses his sound. You're like, that sounds so dramatic. Like immediately, yeah. like you're so drawn in by it. And uh, gosh, you couldn't ask for a better performance uh, from Riz Ahmed. So uh, yeah, that's my number two. What do you got? Good choice, good choice. Uh, my number two is uh, another available on Amazon. I don't want to say too much about it, but it's called The Vast of Night. Mm-hmm-hmm. Wow. I am I am blown away that this is on your top ten, really? let alone your number two. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. blown away by that. So you saw this. I have seen this, yep. 
And it's not your number one, I'm guessing. Let me say it is number 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. This is my number 36 movie of the year. Holy moly. Well, hey, this is why you come to the podcast. You get two very different uh, perspectives. Now, to be fair, my number 40 movie of the year is The Trial of Chicago 7, which was nominated for Best Picture. So, uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, the, I, I, the vast of mine, I... I Trevor, you know, we I used to have a podcast called Projector Fuel. You were on there twice. You brought scary movies, and I said, Trevor, these movies don't scare me. Bring me a movie that scares me. Trevor, this movie scared me. And it's not even a, really a horror movie. No, yeah, it's very much Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Have you seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah. Okay, so it's very much that movie. Uh, I like to think of this movie as a basketball movie as well. Uh, but I know, I think I know the specific moments you're talking about that scares you. Maybe uh, dealing with a recording or yeah. a, um, a phone call, I should say. Um, some, some excellent long takes, I think, definitely. in this film. Very, like, definite, like, lack of coverage, very, very strong direction mm-hmm. um, that I just felt too much. You know what I mean? I, I felt the direction a little bit too much. I'm really glad you like this movie because you're not alone. I know a lot of people who really like The Vast of Night. So it's a movie that I'll have to revisit one day. Um, you know, 3.5 on Letterboxd, not quite as high as, uh, you know, Black Bear or anything like that. But it's, um, <laughs> it's a good movie for sure that I think I just I need to I need to rewatch. And boy, would it have helped again. It would have been really nice. Like when Amazon buys the Arclight Dome and they debut a movie like this in the Arclight Dome, like it'll, that'll really help. That'll really, really help. I think, I think so. But, you know, watching it at home when it was going on and these long moments of like indulging in just storytelling, um, I, I was afraid. Like I didn't want to move in my own house because I was afraid like, you know, in my, it's my apartment. It's small. Nothing's really hiding in here. But I still felt that. I think it was just a a great vision, you know, or, or a great method of storytelling to slowly uh, bring up these ideas and really interesting ideas. You know, it's nothing special when it comes to aliens. That happens all the time. Right. And I think the ending was a little underwhelming for me personally, but I think overall the strength of this film and the movement and everything uh, got me so good. It really got me feeling something, and I loved that. No, I, I dig it. I, I definitely dug what it was going for. I can't put my hand on why it missed the mark for me personally, but I can definitely see why someone would really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, absolutely. That's the Vasted Night available on Amazon right now. Go check it out and do a double Please. feature with Sound of Metal. That's a that's both of our number twos back to back. Yeah, it'd be a good double feature. All right, Trevor. Moment of truth here. Uh, so apologies to my co-hosts and apologies to the listeners of the show, but I have an extremely not only anticlimactic but very controversial number one mank, pick. Mank, mank, It is not David Fincher's mank. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is arguably not a film that was released in the year 2020. Here we go. Okay. So this movie, I think, would be at the top of almost everyone's 2020 list. If the, But listen, I saw it a couple of months into 2020. That's how I judge my lists. I have excluded it from the awards categories because it would basically full sweep the awards category. Um, the um, tagline for this film is "Don't regret, remember." Do you know what the movie is? No. Uh, on Letterboxd, instead of rating it out of stars, they let you rate it out of flames. Do you know what it is? Portrait. This is portrait. 
de la jeune fille in few. Oh my goodness me. Um, listen, I saw this movie well into 2020. I count it as a 2020 movie. I really just want to only say Celine Sciamma's Portia Blady on Fire. If you count it as a 2020 release, easily my number one. I don't have to say really much about it. If It might even be on Hulu still. If you haven't seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, go see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's genuinely a masterpiece. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think the movie's effing phenomenal. Uh, I've seen it twice now, and I'm glad that I've seen it so many times. I want to keep watching it. Um, yeah. Interesting choice. I don't know. You know, I'm going to let the, uh, the listeners come after you on that one. Uh, I'll stay out of it. Uh, there's obviously I'll allow your passion for it because it is a great film uh, and it is kind of hard to tell and you know as a bonus it was completely snubbed um, at the Oscars in 2019 in 2019 yeah when it was uh, what was the French nominee the French uh, was it Les Miserables yeah and we watched that movie together um, and it was fine but I mean come on yeah, I mean, it, it almost it, it got so snubbed um, at the Oscars, and it, it it got released at Cannes in 2019, but it didn't really get that full American rollout. I wasn't able to go see it in L.A. until February 2020. So to me, that's making my 2020 list. Um, I didn't know it would be an easy number one. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to put it on my list at number one. But uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't include it. So, yeah, my number one movie is uh, Celine's Gamma's You Were Never Really Here. No, uh, Portrait of a Lady <laughs> on Fire. Um, of course, the two lead actresses uh, are Adele Hanal, who was also in a, a good movie this year from Quentin Dupont called um, Deer Skin, and then uh, Naomi Merlant, who's fantastic. I mean, everyone in the movie is so, so good. Uh, and mm. you're not – I mean, I know it's a little – it's not even – it's barely controversial. I, I just count it as a 2020 movie. But uh, what do you have for your number one? Well, you know what? I'm going to allow it because my movie is also barely a 2020 movie. Um, it, but I saw it in 2020 also, so I'm going to allow that. You know, we're, 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 we're going to allow each other, right, Trevor? Yeah, for sure. Uh, as Moses says in Attack the Block, allow it. I'll, 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 I'll let it go this one time. Um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, so my movie is from 1994. It's Three Colors Red. Uh, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good pick, honestly. I like those movies. Yeah. All right. Well, so my number, my real number one, is a movie that came out in 2020. Um, and Trevor, it is an overlap. It is our last overlap of the night. Uh, um, I don't want to guess what it is. Okay, I'll I'm give it to scared. you. I'm scared. It's Mank again. Mank. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, it is yeah. the the fantastic. Uh, it absolutely blew me away. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Whoa! Wow! Yeah. I thought you were going. I'm thinking of ending things. No, I uh, I love never rarely. I love this movie. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Again, earlier I said that the trailer was awful. It was off-putting. I would not have seen this movie if it wasn't for you, Trevor. Um, but I yeah, and uh, you know we kind of already talked about it. It captures a feeling. The two actresses are fantastic. One of them. The, the supporting actress, um, I don't think is, might not actually be a good actress, but she plays this role so well because her not really acting in this role is, is excellent for the film. Um, and just this tale of friendship, this beautiful tale of friendship, uh, the, the supporting actress, again, that character being like so, so genuine, like just a true, true human being to this other person who needed it so badly. 
Uh, I love to see that uh, you talked about a, a, a shot where they're holding hands. Um, that that's that might be just an iconic moment for all time in film. I think personally, for me, um, as well as the never, rarely, sometimes, always scene. Uh, it's 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 interesting to hear you bring that up and, and see that people were like ragging on it. I thought that 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 was a cherry on top and solidified this movie as number one for me. I think I'm a sucker for things like that for long takes focused on a character. You know, I'm a big Paul Thomas Anderson guy, so that shouldn't be a, a surprise. Um, and watching this character break in that way uh, was was really incredible. And that was that was to me a perfect testament of what filmmaking is. Yeah, I mean the the long takes with no coverage uh, reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of Shyamalan as well. Uh, he <laughs> does that a lot. But um, you're absolutely right. Um, great movie. Wow, I'm actually really shocked it was your number one. Uh, I liked how we definitely tried to play down our cards throughout this when we would name, like, I had Kajillionaire and Sound of Metal so high yeah. on my list, and you would name them, and then when I named Minari, and when I named this, you really kind of, like, downplayed them, but I had a feeling Minari was on your list, but never really sometimes always. When, when did you get around to watching this? Uh, I think I watched it uh, about two weeks ago or so. Okay, um, I, cool. Yeah, I was I was trying to burn through a lot of these movies for this episode, Um and that one I found was on HBO Max right now. It's for free. Um, and I was like, yeah, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, Trevor liked it. We'll see what happens. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, we might, I may be drinking during this episode, but I definitely remember you when I said it, it was my number eight, you saying that you would not have checked it out had I not said it was good. Yeah, exactly. Because because of the off-putting uh, trailer, which is unfortunate. You know, I know that's that's not good for me to have judged it in that way. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that I did check it out and I hope everyone out there gets to check it out. Uh, just really, really enjoyable. And also Mr. Runtime, I think this one's a short one. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, we talked about how Eliza Hittman's character, or sorry, camera moves around. I, I, I do think it's great. You know, what's interesting is that my number one movie of the year, I saw the trailer for your number one movie of the year when I was watching it. Yeah. Interesting connection there. Right, same here. Uh, and also, you know, kind of uh, in the realm of the Safties, um, there's like a weird uh, way that New York is captured here and never rarely, um, where it feels uh, very alien. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely scary. It feels very mm-hmm. scary, but not in like an over-the-top, like, or, you know, late 80s, early 90s uh, movie. You know, it's like trying to capture, like, not in like a, like, oh, this is a bad part of town it's just more of like a, i don't know what to do once i've reached new york city scary you know i i, yeah. I found that to be very relatable absolutely um, uh, all right great movie. So let's let's talk about it. so those that's our top 10 folks i hope uh, i hope you've seen them uh i have not seen and uh, all of trevor's he has not seen all of mine we may remedy that i may never watch hubie halloween what were some <laughs> of the uh, runner-ups trevor yeah, so among my also rants, I, uh, of course, have uh, Tenet, which we said a lot. You know, Tenet could have easily slotted into my Hubie Halloween area. But, nice. um, you know, I, I enjoyed a lot of Tenet, but I just yeah. I didn't I didn't think it really uh, it deserved to be in that top ten. I think it's definitely lower tier. Nolan, yeah. um, Possessor, my... I was uh, – what's that? Oh, Tenet's my number 12, and actually that, I watched that movie last night. It was my last one for this podcast. Wow, that's that's mind-blowing. That rules. So you, I bet you the more you think about Tenet, it'll either, I mean, of course, it'll either go higher or lower, so you let me know. but uh, It's hard to tell, yeah. Even right now, I mean, I have it at number 12 for me with another yeah. round at 11, um, but it's hard to tell. I, I can't tell if I loved it or if I did not like it yet. 
Yeah, I, I have a possessor uh, for Brandon Cronenberg. I have uh, Palm Springs, which I thought was a, was a delightful little Groundhog nice, Day knockoff yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman brought up a lot of stuff that I thought was interesting, and I know it's getting a lot of love, and we talked about it on the show pretty in-depth. Uh, mm-hmm. Nomadland, I couldn't quite make my mind up on, but it definitely would be in that top 15 of the year. And mm-hmm. then uh, Mank, and then uh, the Netflix horror film His House. That, 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 that would kind of round out. And then I, another round is a movie that I need to revisit for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of hype about it. Currently, it's at my number like 21 of the year, which I, I have a feeling is way too low. I liked the movie. I thought the ending scene was fantastic like everyone else does, but I think if I revisit it, it might hop up some spots for sure. Uh, people definitely seem to like that. What were your also nice. rants looking like? Uh, we got some uh, Netflix ones here from Ma Rainey's, which was a, a great one. I thought uh, really pulled together with the cast. Um, to Five Bloods was interesting return to form from Spike Lee. I remember you saying uh, before the pandemic that you, you were into that one. Yeah, no, it, it's on my list for sure. It's now it's down at number twenty eight, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it would, that would have been like the very first movie I watched of the year that was um, had me very conflicted, and I thought it was very interesting. Definitely, right. I don't know if it was a return of uh, form. That I still prefer Black Klansman in most recent years, but yeah. some really really interesting stuff in that movie for sure. Yeah, uh, Wolf Walkers over Soul, I think, is the animated film of the year. Pref- you know, that's my preference. Um, uh, some documentaries like Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which is a sort of... It, have you seen that one? Do you know anything I, about it? I have. That's that's actually my number 16 of the year, and we're going to probably hear more about that from a phone call that we just heard from a guest. But um, that's okay. a, a, a very interesting movie for sure. And yeah. it was one of the very first movies we streamed at the Freedom when the pandemic started. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I loved it. It really uh, surprised me. And there's, I got like a twist afterward. I didn't know going in what it was about, and I, I figured it to be a documentary completely until I was reading like production stuff after seeing the movie and i think there's a lot to unpack there um Definitely. i did i did like trial of chicago 7 uh please don't hate me i'm, I'm a sork i'm a sucker for sorkin uh you you know i like that fast talking dialogue stuff and the really heavy quips and whatnot hey man if it's for you it's for you uh i i genuinely like it at sometimes i did not like that film yeah but luckily mank uh, uh picked up on that side yeah, of things for me for for sure yeah um, and then last but not least, uh, ooh, uh, A White White Day, the Icelandic film from this year. Yes, uh, I believe that came out via, oh, shoot, uh, not film movement, but we that was another one that we early uh, streamed at the Frida. And um, did you watch it through our site or how did you get a hold of that one? I watched it for free through, uh, I think, Amazon. Um, okay. You can watch it with commercials. Sounds shady. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a really cool. I'd probably I, I don't know how you'd feel about a double feature between that and um, you were never really here. That might be fun. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I could see that. I never really put that together actually, but uh, that's uh, somewhere down on my letterbox list, probably next to the Vast of Night. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, let's just run through our, our awards. You know, we don't need to yeah. really. We've talked about a lot of these movies, I'm sure. Um, but I, I, you know, we're getting a little uh, long in the tooth here on this episode <laughs> that we try not to do, but it happens. Uh, our first category is going to be best cinematography. Adam, uh, I was between uh, Daniel Bouquet for uh, Sound of Metal. I thought that movie looked really fantastic. He'd be my runner-up, but my winner here is Lucas Zoll for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Again, I got to see this movie on the big screen. I thought it looked fantastic. Um, this is Kaufman tapping. Um, uh, Powell Pawlowski's uh, cinematographer who shot Ida and uh, Cold War. 
So, of course, this movie is going to look fantastic. I thought it was a, a great meeting of the minds. So I'm giving my best cinematography, uh, Golden Ghosty, to Lucas Zoll for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. What about you? Nice. For these first two categories, I don't have the names because I, I made them really quick. But uh, my runner-up was The Invisible Man. I wanted to go a little bit more unconventional. Um, for and sure. I really like, you know, I mean, you know, that that's probably one of the big draws for this movie, right, is what's lurking in the frame that you don't know. Um, but but my my I go, it goes to Mank. I'm sorry, people. Uh, I just love the way that Mank looked. It, it looked really authentic, and there's a lot of mise en scene, which I'm a sucker for. Yeah, and by the way, the cinematography of uh, the Invisible Man that you're giving the Golden Ghosty to is uh, no. Stefan Dussault. What 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 what? That's the runner up. Oh no! Mank wins, your... baby. So so Mank gets the Oscar and the Golden Globe. Yeah, that's right. Ah, well, I'm gonna give a shout out to the cinematographer of the Invisible Man. That's Stefan Dussault. Okay. Uh, score, best score. Uh, so for best score for me, it was between two things. My runner-up is going to be Ludwig for Tenet. I thought that score, uh, it really slapped. Like it genuinely yeah. really went hard. Uh, and I really liked it a lot. And I liked that he went away from the Hans Zimmer uh, mm-hmm. stuff for this movie specifically. But for me, slam dunk best score is uh, Emil Moseri for Minari. I'm giving him my golden ghosty. I think that that, that score is fantastic. I, we Again, I mentioned that we played it on the drive-in three nights in a row. We mm-hmm. had that score playing the whole time. It's absolutely beautiful. Really beautiful. That's actually my runner-up is Minari, uh, where my, my golden ghosty is going to first cow. Um, oh, I can't speak on it. I cannot speak on it. Yeah, it's really uh, subtle but beautiful music, I think, that goes on throughout uh, – Really great. Very nice. Moving on to best screenplay, um, we have uh, an adapted and original here. We don't, we don't, we don't discern between the two of them. It's just best screenplay overall. So, That's right. um, my runner-up is going to be Miranda July for Cajillionaire. I really like that screenplay. And uh, my winner, my Golden Ghosty, is going to go to Lawrence Michael Levine for Black Bear. We've already been over oh. it, but I thought it was a very, uh, very, very interesting uh, script. I, I'm, I'm, I've almost said a word a few times that would give away a lot of what the movie's about, and I haven't said it yet. But a very interesting script that keeps you guessing throughout. So uh, congratulations, Lawrence Michael Levine, on your Golden Ghosty. And that word is tenant. Um <laughs> Yeah, I have one word for you, and I'm avoiding it. Um, yeah, my runner-up is also for Kajillionaire from Rainy wow. July. Very yeah, nice. Loved it. I think we both saw the same things in it that we really liked. Um, sorry, it goes to Mank again for best for the Golden Ghost. <laughs> Are you for real? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a wonderfully complex uh, uh, screenplay that handled a lot of things, and I liked the way it handled them. So you're giving it best cinematography and get best screenplay, so... You thought Gary Oldman was good in it. What, what what was lacking? Was it the direction from David Fincher? Hey, I have it on my. It's my number nine. Okay. I, I don't know, man. It feels like the ingredients are adding up to a much higher number. But all right, I'm down with that. Um, yeah. Best supporting actress. Uh, I have a couple of interesting uh, runner-ups here, which are kind of. Um, probably controversial, but I think uh, Han Yi Ri and Minari is fantastic. But we mm-hmm. were talking about whether she was a supporting actress or not. She might actually be in the contention for best actress since she's the lead mm-hmm. uh, actress in that film. I thought she was fantastic. I thought the grandma was great, but I think Han Yi Ri was actually the best support or the best overall performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, uh, my my main runner up is Rachel McAdams in Euro Song Song Contest. Uh, the story of Fire Saga. I thought she was so good in that movie. I thought she was great. But my winner is Christine Milioti for uh, Palm Springs. 
I thought wow. uh, this was a star maker for Christine Milioti, who has uh, gone on to be in some TV show now. I would like to see her in a lot more movies. I didn't know of her because apparently she was in um, There's Something About My Mother or whatever that show when Neil Patrick Harris was called. Uh, oh, How I Met uh, Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. She's also uh, in The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, is she? How big is her role in that? She's uh, she's Leo's first wife. You know. Oh, okay. Well, I thought she was great in Palm Springs. So she's getting my Golden Ghosty for Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Again, She's the lead actress in that movie, so maybe she's not even a supporting actress. Controversial for me, but I just wanted to find a way to give Christina, uh, Christine Milioti a golden ghosty. Yeah, she's a big, uh, I'm a, I, she's, you know, one of my celeb crushes for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, this is not, that has nothing to do with the golden ghosties. I'm talking about the performances, Adam. Uh, well, I won't go there. My support, my, my runner up is uh, Ida Mekin Hlinsdotter. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, she was the little girl in A White White Day. Uh, I, this was her first thing that she was in. I thought she was really good in it. She had a lot of emotions that she was showing throughout the film. Nice. Um, but my my golden ghosty goes to uh, Sierra McCormick for The Vast of Night. She she was the young girl, you know, at the radio. And she has a great scene in there um, where it's when things are starting to happen and uh, she doesn't know what's going on. She's working the phones, the old-fashioned wire phones plugging them in and plugging them out um and she does a great job uh, uh, in that scene specifically and the rest of the film very nice moving on to best supporting actor uh, i have two runner up here again because i'm a coward uh pattinson is the glue that keeps tenet together in my opinion every time he's <laughs> off screen the movie is worse um i want to give him a shout out uh david thewlis and i'm thinking of ending Ooh, things is yeah. so 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 good right. and i wish i had the 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 nuts to give him the winner but uh my golden ghosty and you're gonna love this is going to mark rylance in the trial of the chicago seven wow uh, okay i think he's fantastic in this movie he's the only reason i said i didn't like the movie he's the only reason to watch the movie it's almost like the pattinson performance in tenet where it's like if this guy wasn't in this movie i think i would be checked out full time but anytime he's on screen uh, he seems to be getting all the best lines or he's just delivering them better than Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Eddie Redmayne or whatever blase white dude they got in, uh, in those movies. But uh, I, I think I think he, he outshines everybody in that movie. I'm giving my golden ghosty to Mark Rylance in an Aaron Sorkin flick. Wow, way to go. I think, you know, I, I feel like I just watched Tenant last night and I already kind of want to rewatch it. So that might bode for, for something. Um, but my runner-up is going to be Paul Rassi, Racy. Mm-hmm. Uh who uh he's a broadway guy you know that's why we kind of really didn't know too much about him but in right. sound of metal i mean you know you watch this the last scene that he's in in that movie and i don't know how you cannot you know how you can keep your heart together during that scene and that was the scene they actually played for the oscar clip for best picture okay that's what sold me on if Portrait of a Lady on Fire wasn't a 2020 release in my mind. Sound of Metal is the best movie of the year. They yeah. showed that clip, and I just thought, man, out of context, that clip destroyed me. Yeah. Um, so this is a great, this is a great pick for sure. I don't, I, I don't know how he didn't make my list. He was fantastic. Well, that, that's my runner-up. Whereas uh, the winner goes to Delroy Lindo. Mm, very nice. Uh, very nice. Yeah. Hard to say. I, I'm having a feeling that we're going to see that in your main actors. Um, my justification here is that the five bloods is like a, an ensemble thing. So it is kind of hard to say um, he, but he is the, the force in there, but uh, just to give him the win here, that's where it goes. Why do you think uh, Delroy Lindo would be in mine? I remember you talking about how much you loved his performance. I think it's a, unbelievable that he was snubbed by the Academy. I, yeah, I think it's see? insane. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, best actress time. 
I'm making a switch up right here. I had a winner. I am switching them out. I don't think it's her time yet, but my runner-up, who I originally had winning, is Jessie Buckley. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh-huh. I think she's so, so, so good in that movie. But my winner, I think it's her time, Aubrey Plaza and Black Bear. When you wow. watch the movie, you'll know what I'm saying, man. She she commits fully to the movie. Uh, I described it earlier as a world-eating performance. Uh, this is something that if Elizabeth Moss had done this in the same movie, it would have been uh, it would have won an Independent Spirit Award. I don't think Aubrey Plaza got any love for this movie. Uh, yes, Aubrey Plaza, Golden Ghosty, your time is now. All right, I'm gonna have to watch this movie ASAP. Um, all right, so my my runner up for actress is Julia Garner uh, in The Assistant. Um, I, I loved her emotion. There's a similar scene in The Assistant to Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, where she kind of just focuses on on Julia Garner and uh, as she like realizes the trap that she's in, in, in working here and whatnot in this pre me too arrow kind of world. Uh, really, really great performance. I think, um, please go see that. But my, my main one, I, I, it's an easy one, but it's easy because it's so good. Viola Davis in Ma Rainey. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she just nails it. I, when I saw that, I thought she, she was incredible at playing this character, this kind of frightening, intimidating character, but you know, she has to be to survive kind of thing. Right. Uh, Viola's always good in whatever she is, but this is a this was a new uh, role for her. I felt and and she got it. It's all new gear from Viola Davis there. Yeah. All right, I I dig that. I dig that. Uh, my best actor, uh, yeah, my runner up is the aforementioned uh, Delroy Lindo and right. uh, the Five Bloods. The first the first performance I saw of the year where I thought that's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Uh, the fact that it didn't is absurd. Incredible. It held up completely throughout the movie, or throughout the year, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's possible they just didn't know what category to throw him in or something, and maybe he had split votes. I have no idea. But Yeah, we didn't even know. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I put him in my best actor. I think he's the heart of that movie, but best uh, best actor for me, the Golden Ghost, he goes to Riz Ahmed. No surprise here. Sound of Fantastic. I thought, he, I thought he was the best uh, performance of the year, for sure. Yeah, great choice. I think, uh, I think yeah, uh, God, he's so good in that. Um, throughout the whole film, he pulls it. Um, yeah, my, my runner up is going to be Chadwick Boseman. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's not just because of his unfortunate passing, but I think him in, in, uh, in Ma Rainey, I think that last scene alone where he, where he's like crying and whatnot, I thought was like, holy moly. And I'm, I'm, I've never really been a big Chadwick guy. Um, I'm not a fan of Black Panther. I, I don't think that character has a lot of strength to it. So maybe Chadwick doesn't get a lot of room to you know play a character there but here holy cow he he got it uh but but my 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 golden ghosty goes to daniel kaluuya nice uh, yeah he uh he was just incredible as uh as uh fred, fred hampton, hampton. Yeah, yeah you had the, you had the guts to give him the best actor not best supporting that's right i think uh i think he just he i mean he is uh the black messiah he's in the title he I goes. Both of them. He goes off stage, or he goes off screen for a, quite a bit in that movie. But I, I agree with you that he is the titular Black Messiah. Right. Um, and uh, let's move on to Best Director, our very last category before we do our Lifetime Achievement. You got it. Uh, I am calling another audible here and switching it up. Uh, <laughs> my previous winner, who is now my runner-up, is going to be Darius Martyr for Sound of Metal. It is not his time yet. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. First time out the gate. First time thing I've seen from him. 
maybe we could talk about him in future years. He can enjoy his uh, bronze ghosty second place, which I know would be usually a silver ghosty, but we call that things that we give away in our outros. It's very complicated, but my golden ghosty is going to uh, another first-time director in my eyes, the first movie I've seen from him. Uh, we had talked about it many times before. Adam, do you know what it is? Uh, Invisible Man? No, it is. So listen, a movie like Minari doesn't just magically come together the way it did. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the direction sometimes can be something you extremely feel, like when we were talking about The Fast and Night, or it can be something that you just don't feel. It's just so light and everything just works out so perfectly. It mm-hmm. is not a coincidence. Lee Isaac Chung gets my Golden Ghosty for Best Director this year. Um, it's just a movie that I watched top to bottom and was like, that was perfect. And anybody who's ever made movies, and I know you don't want to admit this, but I've made a couple of movies, and it is extremely hard to do so. And Lee Isaac Chung made it look extremely easy with Minari. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm happy with that. I think that's a great choice. Um, yeah, Trevor, you've made a few videos, I know. Yeah. Uh, my So my runner-up is going to Kitty Green for The Assistant. Again, I, I, I love the way that movie was shot and uh, staged and everything. I thought you and I guess your best director, I think I know where you're leaning. Go for it. It's Eliza Hitman. It is absolutely Eliza Hitman. <laughs> Very I, I, cool. For the reasons I already kind of stated, she made Never Rarely Sometimes Always Happen with the, the help of a great cast. Uh, and there you go. Very cool. So uh, before we shut up this uh, show... Uh, let's go to our very final um, award, and that would be the Lifetime Achievement Award. Adam, do you want me to go first? Yes, please. Um, I'm giving this award to somebody who has been um, a mainstay in the indie film circuit for quite some years. Of course, it is a Lifetime Achievement Award going to 35-year-old Christopher Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the better Shia LaBeouf, as I like to call him. Uh, I saw him on the television recently when Jen was watching Girls. I said, well, Christopher Abbott's in this. But Christopher Abbott has starred in, in the last, like, five years. It Comes at Night, uh, which I which I think is wildly underrated. Vox Lux, yeah. which I hated, <laughs> but he's, he's good in it. Black Bear, which we've been talking about a lot on this episode. Possessor, which I thought he was great in. Piercing, which is a, a really interesting kind of Giallo-inspired weird film with him and Mia Wazakowski. Uh, an indie film called James White that he co-starred in with Kid Cudi, and then Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. This man has been putting in the work, man. I'm telling you. I'm giving him his Lifetime Achievement Award at the age of 35 because I want to see more. Okay. And like I said, he's the better Shia LaBeouf. I think he's a better performer. He's less problematic. And if anything comes out about him after this episode comes out, just know that I wasn't praising him as a person. I was giving him his flowers as an actor. I want to see him in more, if it's even possible. The dude's in, like, every movie. I'm giving it to him. Congratulations on your Lifetime Achievement Golden Ghosty Award. Christopher Abbott, keep it up, buddy. Great. You called him, like, what? Wait, a better Shia LaBeouf? The better Shia LaBeouf. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to take in the same vein and use a lot of your uh, your re- reasoning and rationale to give mine to Stephen Yoon. He's sort of like a better Christopher <laughs> Abbott. Um, I think it's his time right now. Uh, you know, we, I already mentioned it, but we got Burning, we got Oksha, Walking Dead, he was great into, if you're not really a fan like I am, though. Um, Invincible Now and uh, Minari. I mean, this is this is the Steven Yoon time. We're in it. You know, we're always in these eras. We're in the era of Steven Yoon and then that girl from uh, Queen's Gambit. What's her name? Uh, yeah, Aaron, T- or not Aaron Taylor Johnson, Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the era of these two right now that we're in. And I hope... Uh, I hope for Steven Yeun specifically, I mean, she's great, but uh, I hope for Steven Yeun specifically um, that we get to see him really, uh, 
get more nominations, get more big screen wins for him playing cool characters. Yeah, I mean, combined, their ages are 35 and 37, respectively, which would be 72 years old, which would be the actual age of someone who might receive a Lifetime Achievement Award. Right. So uh, very congratulations to Christopher Abbott and Stephen Yoon. Uh, Adam, this was a long episode, but it was covering an entire year of movies. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, I think that's it. I think if you're out here and you uh, uh, have not seen any of the movies that you've heard today, please... Go check them out and let us know what you think. We'll be happy to talk to you about them. Um, definitely uh, check out Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. That's going to be my one takeaway for you uh, out there. Definitely. I think we can both agree to check out Sound of Metal, which was my number two, kind of mm-hmm. my um, default number one, if uh, you don't want to accept Portrait of a Lady on Fire as the controversial number one pick. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I don't have much else to add, uh, Adam, but uh, what? wait a minute. Hold on. I'm getting something slid across my desk. Uh-oh. It is an additional award for this year. Oh, here we go. And it is the Golden Ghosty Humanitarian Award. Let me open what? it up. What? It goes to Trevor Dillon for having to do this friggin' podcast with you. <laughs> wow. Congratulations, Trevor Dillon. Do you think dads love our podcast? Uh, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. The dad jokes just simply don't cut through the Eliza Hitman talk <laughs> <laughs> and the Kelly Rykart American Auteur discussions. Right. Uh, wow. I, that's, that's great, Trevor. You're a real humanitarian. Um, I know <laughs> recently, uh, over the weekend, you, you went to the desert to lay in a pool for a while. I know you like to, uh, go to your, to your hot tub, uh, my your sauna. spa, yeah, your sauna, yeah, and I think you're you're. It's good because you're relaxing for all of us. Yeah, for sure. Me, someone who does not work at all and only relaxes, <laughs> <laughs> who records podcasts in bed because it's the only time he gets to rest. Right. Um, that's it for us. We are going to be exiting the red carpet uh, now. But uh, oh my gosh, wow! There's Army Hammer. Hey, Army. Uh oh. How you doing? <laughs> we better get out of here. Uh oh, he looks hungry. <laughs> That'll do it for us here at Ghost Party Radio. Uh, That was episode number 22, the Golden Ghosties. We are out of here. Adam, we have officially... Uh, 2020'd the Spectacular. Golden the Ghosties. Thanks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys.